Amen. Well, as I was thinking about our uh, parable this week and how to start off and introduce this thing, uh, how to illustrate what Jesus is saying here, I, I kept thinking about one of my favorite movies growing up, which was The Karate Kid. You've seen The Karate Kid? This glorious classic. Now, I realized if I shared this illustration later in the fall, about half of the congregation would have no idea what I'm talking about. So, all the students would be here. This is before they were born. They were born in like 2005. So, I got to get in this illustration now. Whenever it's just us, I know you've seen this. The Karate Kid, which is about this teenager named Daniel whose family moves uh, to a new town in California, and he, he starts at this high school and pretty much right off the bat finds himself on the wrong side of the bullies, right? And the bullies are, they're the cool guys, you know, and they happen to be black belts in karate. And so pretty much right off the bat, it starts to go really south for Daniel. You know, he's taking a regular beating, he's getting his tail kicked, and he starts to think, I got to do something fast, i got to figure out really quick how to get some moves so that I can defend myself. And he ends up meeting this old Japanese man who was a master in karate named Mr. Miyagi. And he pleads with him over and over and over to train him in karate so he can defend himself. And finally, Mr. Miyagi agrees. And Daniel-san, as he calls him, is like, all right, yes, I'm going to get the big moves. I'm going to show these guys you know, I figure a training session or two, I'll be ready to go, right? And so he shows up for his first day of training at Mr. Miyagi's house, and what does he do? What does he have him do for his training? Wash his cars, yeah, wax on, wax off, right? And so he spends the entire day washing and waxing these five cars, and he's exhausted. And at the end of the day, he's like, what was the point of that? This isn't going nearly as fast as I thought, but maybe the next day will be better. So he shows up the next day, and what does he do? Yeah, he paints the fence. That's right. Paints the fence. You know, he's getting this technique down. And then the third day he shows up, what does he do? Sands the floor. That's right. And so Danielson is ready to give up because he's thinking, this is not what I signed up for. I need something fast. I don't have time for all of this. And after all, what does this, what do all these things have to do with me getting to the place where I can defend myself? Well, you see, Mr. Miyagi had to tell him, in order to get there, it requires a foundation of all these little, small things you've got to master. There's all kinds of little small things you've got to consistently give yourself to slowly over time so that you're finally at a place where you can do what you need to do. I think we're a lot like Danielson. In the things that we face, in the challenges that we face, the problems, even uh, our approach to building the kingdom, we want a quick fix. We want to learn the power moves What is going to get it done immediately? What's going to make it happen? Give me the secret that I need to get this whole thing taken care of. We live in a Danielson culture, right? An instant society where we're trained to think that anything worth having 
is worth, is, is able to be gotten all at once. We're trained by our commercials, our 30-second commercials that promise immediate quick fixes. We're trained by our politicians who make promises that are going to happen immediately but never do. We're trained by our culture, have it all now, your best life now for an easy, low monthly payment of $1.99 a month, right? Debt. You know, everything in our culture screams for the quick fix, the immediate, the flashy, the powerful. And so for us, we assume, shouldn't it be the same way with discipleship? Shouldn't, shouldn't discipleship be about a quick fix, an experience, finding the right technique where it all happens at once? Shouldn't the church be built in the same way where if you just get the right strategy and you just get the right uh, ingredients here that you have a huge jam in church all at once? Isn't that the way it's supposed to work, we think, in our consumeristic culture? And so it becomes incredibly difficult for us to give ourselves to the small, faithful, everyday things of things like prayer, the Word, service. What we're going to see in our passage this morning as Jesus teaches us about the kingdom of God is that the kingdom comes through small, weak, seemingly insignificant things. And it grows slowly over time. But eventually, it permeates the whole world and becomes a big, glorious kingdom. That's what Jesus shows us in our passage. So let's look together at these parables as we're continuing this week in our series of parables we've been looking at over the summer. And there's two parables here. They really go together, and they both begin the same way. In fact, they begin with the way that most parables of Jesus begin. The kingdom of heaven is like... Almost all of Jesus' parables begin with the kingdom of heaven is like. In other words, the parable, all of the parables are an illustration of what God's kingdom is like. Now that concept of the kingdom of God is something that pervades the whole scriptures. It's an enormous concept. In fact, almost all of Jesus' teaching was centered around the kingdom of God. Now, this concept of the kingdom of God, it's, it's one of those spiritual words that you hear a lot and you use a lot, but it's hard to really put your fingers around. What exactly does this mean? What is the kingdom of God? What was Jesus talking about whenever he taught about the kingdom of God? Well, most simply put, the kingdom of God is the reign of God. It's the kingdom of God is the place where God's will is done the place where God's will is faithfully embraced and fully embodied. That's the kingdom of God. It's where His ways are done. He rules here. That's what the kingdom of God means. The kingdom of God is to be the center, so Jesus taught, of what we pray. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, we pray it all the time. At the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer, we are to pray this. Bring your kingdom. Your kingdom come. So what exactly does that mean? Well, the very next verse says it. Your will be done on earth, just like it is in heaven. 
So God's kingdom coming means that His will, His ways would be done and embraced on the earth just like it is in heaven. Now think about how God's will is done in heaven, where His kingdom is. Every creature in heaven, out of pure delight, without delay, immediately does the will of God. Any picture we see throughout Scripture of the heavenly throne room, we see the same thing. Every creature is totally taken by the glory of God and eager at a moment's notice to do exactly what God wants. Heaven is filled with joy and beauty and glory and the will of God done immediately. But the earth is a pretty different place, isn't it? The place, the, the earth is full of open rebellion against God. All you've got to do is look at the newspaper. Just look at the the evening news. The earth is filled with brokenness, with war, with oppression, with exploitation, with sin from corner to corner of the earth. It's filled with the rebellion of God. But to say, your kingdom come is to say, God, take your rule, just like it is in heaven, that's filled with glory and beauty and delight and joy and bring it right down here on the earth. That's what we pray. And that's what Jesus was saying His coming was all about. That He had come to bring the reign of heaven right down here in the middle of the place that's torn apart by sin. So you see, the kingdom of God is a huge concept. And it's the sum of all of our hopes as His people. Now, the the entire Old Testament, in fact, looked ahead to the coming of the kingdom of God. All of the prophets, all of the Old Testament writers were looking ahead to the day whenever the son of David, the Messiah, would come. And whenever he would come, God's spirit would be on him and he would usher in God's kingdom. He would destroy all of God's enemies. He would bring God's rule throughout the earth. There would be no more war. Justice would roll down like a river. There would be no more crying or sadness or pain. Messiah would come and would make all things new. It was an enormous kind of hope that the prophets looked ahead to. In fact, it even involved creation. It even, the, the prophets even painted a picture of creation that whenever Messiah came and established God's kingdom, even creation would be renewed. Isaiah in chapter 11 talks about this picture that creation would be so new and so at peace that the lion would lay down with the lamb. That can't happen now. But creation would be at such peace that a child could put his hand in a viper's nest and be unharmed. Because, as Isaiah says, the earth will be full of the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the seas. That was the enormous picture of the prophets of what Messiah would do whenever he would come. He would bring God's rule and reign to this earth. And so whenever Jesus shows up and people begin to think, could this be the one? Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the coming king? You can understand that their expectations were quite big. They expected Messiah to come as a big conquering hero, to come in with great military might, and to destroy the Romans. And in fact, the Israelites were so preoccupied with the blessings of the kingdom that they missed the message of Jesus. But you see, Jesus came. Messiah came in a way that nobody expected. 
And so it threw them off. And so they were, even the disciples were confused. That's why you see the disciples arguing about who's going to get the positions of the right and the left in his kingdom. Remember that in Mark 10? Well, they think Jesus is going to the throne. And they're like, I want to be chief of staff. I, w- I want the positions of great prestige in your kingdom. So they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. But whenever Jesus started talking about things like death and the cross and dying, you know what most of the followers did? They said, that's not what I signed up for. That's not what my expectations are. I'm out of here. I'm looking for somebody that's going to come and kick Roman tail, who was oppressing the Jews at the time. So into that expectation, Jesus tells this parable. Jesus is trying to correct their misunderstanding about the kingdom. The kingdom is not going to come like what you're expecting, he's telling them. They were expecting immediate triumph. Jesus said, that's not how his kingdom comes. Instead, it comes very small. And it grows very slowly. But it grows and it grows and it grows. And eventually, it fills the whole earth. That's the picture that he's teaching them here. So let's look at the two parables here. Jesus starts off by saying, the kingdom is like a little tiny mustard seed. Now, in Palestine of the time, the mustard seed was the smallest seed that they knew of. And Jesus says, it's like a mustard seed that a man took out and he planted in a field and it begins to grow and it's very small, very insignificant. It's not even noticed among the other plants of the garden. But it grows, and it grows, and it grows, and eventually, it's the largest tree in the garden. And so big is this tree that birds come and rest and nest in its branches. That's the picture. Let me give you a little visual aid here. I don't have mustard seeds here, but they're very, very close. This is, of course, from Ashley's garden. She's the gardener here. Um, this is about the size of a mustard seed. Now, you cannot see that. That's part of the point. I can hardly see this. It's tiny. It's so tiny. And it's so insignificant. But how remarkable that you plant that little mustard seed in the ground and slowly, over time, you're probably not going to notice it growing at all. But eventually... After a long, long time, you know what this little, tiny seed becomes? A huge tree. Enormous. Where birds come and nest in, animals find shade in its branches. It starts small, but remarkably it gets huge. Well, then he shares another parable that's really illustrating the exact same thing. He says, the kingdom is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a very large batch of dough. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not a baker. I don't do much baking. I don't need dough a lot. So I had to look this one up and read about it a little bit. But here's how it would work. If you want your uh, bread to rise, if you want it to leaven, well, you've got to take a little uh, fermented acidic dough. Just a little piece. And the the size of the batch here in the Greek that she's using was enormous, about enough to feed 150 people. 
But even in a batch that large, you'd take just a little piece of fermented dough and you'd stick it in there and you'd start kneading it. Start working it in there. Take quite a while. Keep going. Keep going. Got to be patient. But after a while, you know what happens? The fermented dough makes its way through the whole batch. And not only that, it causes it to rise, to increase, to get bigger. Jesus is saying, that's what the kingdom is like. So what's his point here? The point is, the kingdom of God starts so small, so insignificant. And it grows through small things and small people and seemingly insignificant kind of things you do. And it grows, and it grows, and it grows, and it it has this kind of hidden permeation. Sometimes you don't even see it having its effect on the culture or growing and spreading, kind of like yeast in a dough. But eventually, at the end, the kingdom of God fills the whole earth. Eventually, it's bigger than any other kingdom the world has ever known. You see, this was a big correction to what the Israelites were expecting. They were expecting immediate, a big, powerful, flashy leader to roll into town, to raise up an army, to kick Roman tail, to bring all the blessings to them. But they got Jesus, who was acting and talking in a very different way. And Jesus was saying, you got to get this adjustment. Don't be mesmerized by the crowds. Don't be taken in by all the quick fix, powerful promises of how you will change and how the kingdom will come. That's not how God's kingdom comes. It comes slowly through weak things. So often we're like the Israelites. We think the way that we change and the way that The church grows and the kingdom comes is through big flashy things. I mean, after all, that's what our culture says. But Jesus says, no. It comes through small, almost invisible faithfulness in God's people, through small and weak people like you and me. Think about it for a minute. How did God's kingdom come in Jesus? You know, if you would have read the Old Testament, you would have imagined what the Messiah would look like. You would imagine him to be a great leader that would come with a great parade, right? Wouldn't he arrive with all the pomp and circumstance that would be associated with his glory? I mean, surely he would be born in a king's palace, you would expect. But how did he come? He was born to nobody parents. He was from a nobody hometown. He was born in a barn. His crib was a cow's trough. He was born right under the nose of Herod. Herod didn't even lift a finger to come see. And Caesar, the ruler of the world, he had no idea. He probably never heard his name. And Jesus lived his life without two nickels to rub together. He was poor all of his life. And who did he call? What kind of team did he assemble to change the whole world? He would go after the the power brokers, right? The really influential, the guys that had some money. After all, you got to fund this mission, right? Is that what he did? No. He chose fishermen that didn't know up from down. 
And through this insignificant, weak, hidden beginning, His kingdom began to grow. And now is covering the whole world. Jesus is saying, this is how the kingdom comes. It's how it comes among us. It's how it comes in our life. His rule comes into our life, not from some big experience that we have every now and then. It comes from everyday faithfulness to King Jesus. That's how His kingdom comes. Whenever we were in Azerbaijan, and we got to spend all of this time with the church there, one of the things that you notice right off is that the church in Azerbaijan looks like a little mustard seed. It's tiny. The people in the churches, they're not all that impressive. In fact, most of them are poor. They don't have money. They don't have influence. Some of them don't have work. In choosing to follow Jesus, they lost their jobs. Some of them have four jobs, and they can barely make ends meet. They're so weak. They're so seemingly insignificant. They're small people. We had many opportunities to be with them and to visit with them. We would ask them, tell us what it's like to follow Jesus in your culture. And almost everyone would describe it in the same way. They would say, the hardest thing is the persecution, is the constant resistance and oppression that they feel because of their following Jesus. Many of them, whenever they choose to follow Jesus, are disowned by their family. They're disowned by their community. Their community, their family, their friends all tell them, you have betrayed Islam. You have betrayed your family. You've betrayed your nation. And they're constantly experiencing that opposition. All around them is the reminder of the power of Islam. Every morning, the mosque on every corner, the calls to prayer ring out a constant reminder that Islam dominates in this place. And not only that, they're surrounded by what seems to be the real power. In this country, it's very oil-rich, and it's booming. They're building towers up to the sky. Everywhere there's construction going on. There's fancy cars everywhere. There's money just exploding all around them. And these counterfeit kingdoms are all saying, this is where the power is. Join us. Make money. Come be a part of this. Join Islam. And in the face of all of this pressure and all of this persecution, they are choosing to take Jesus at His promise. That though the kingdom of God looks so small, one day it will be a giant tree. That it will fill the whole earth. That King Jesus will reign on the earth and we will reign with Him forever and ever and ever. That's what they're putting their hopes in. That's what they've taken hold of. They also asked us in our times together, so what's it like to follow Jesus in your culture? And it was humbling. I have to say, being with them, hearing of the pressure that they faced, we were inspired by their faithfulness and their courage. But as we shared with them, we said, almost to a T, the people on our team, we said, it's hard too, but in the opposite way. You see, in our culture, it's so accepted to be a Christian, it's even advantageous. If you profess to be a Christian in our culture, you can even get ahead. In fact, everybody professes to be a Christian almost, 
And oftentimes, it's really hard to discern who is a real Christian and who's just professing it. So we're constantly surrounded by that in our culture. And then also, the things in our culture that are constantly sending us the messages, this is where the power's at. We live in a very wealthy and affluent culture. And constantly we're getting messages from the world that say, it's okay, you can follow Jesus and have your best life now. You can follow Jesus and pursue all of the comfort and security and wealth that this life has to offer. So the biggest challenge to us in our culture is complacency. It's mixing our loyalty with Jesus with loyalty to the world. So it's hard in a very, very different way. But Jesus calls us to faithfulness in really small things. He calls us to be a people that plant little mustard seeds, little seemingly insignificant things that we do day after day after day, things like prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but what can feel more like nothing than prayer? I mean, do you ever, in the midst of prayer, say, what am I doing? Am I just talking to the air? I mean, the very nature of prayer is it's choosing not to do something. The very nature of prayer is saying, I'm not going to do it. I'm looking to you because I believe you have the power to do it. It feels so very small, but Jesus says, it is through this that the kingdom comes. He calls us to small things like His Word, like meditating on and ingesting His Word. I mean, does this really seem powerful to you? I mean, it's words. It, it, it seems like a whole lot of nothing. I mean, how can this change me? How can this change the world? Because that's what God says it will do. He calls it a, a sword, a big, gigantic sword of the Spirit. But so often, I don't treat it that way. It seems so small and so weak. But Jesus says it's powerful. He calls us to things like gathering together in worship this morning. I mean, there's a lot of things we could be doing this morning, right? I mean, we could be playing golf. We could be going for a hike. We could be sleeping in. I could be fishing right now. What are we doing here? It's like a mustard seed. As we gather together to worship our God, His kingdom is coming in power. Not in our power. It's weak. We're doing weak things. But it's through our weakness that His power comes. That's how He does things. That's how He set us up. He calls us to things like loving and serving. In other words, losing yourself, losing your life. I mean, if you're really going to do that on a regular basis, to give away your time and your money and yourself for the sake of others, I mean, why not just live for my little kingdom? Why not just live to take care of me? It's so weak. It seems so pointless. But Jesus says, like a mustard seed, it's the means through which his kingdom comes. There's a story of a a little eight-year-old boy, a little curious eight-year-old little boy, and he notices these three bricklayers that are laying bricks. And so the curiosity gets the best of him, and he comes up to him, and he noticed the three bricklayers looked very different in what they were doing. 
the first bricklayer kind of had a scowl on his face, and he's kind of cursing under his breath. But the little eight-year-old boy comes up to him anyways, and he says, Hey, mister, mister, what you doing? The guy looks at him, and he says, Can't you see, little boy? I'm laying bricks. Now get out of here. So he's like, I know I don't want to lay bricks whenever I grow up. But he's still kind of curious. And he noticed there's another bricklayer, and he kind of kind of has a determined look on his face. You know, he's going about it. He's, he's not nearly as, um, as disgusted as the first guy. And he's just kind of faithfully plugging along. And he says, hey, mister, mister, what are you doing? And he says, I'm earning a living. I'm providing for my family. And so the little boy thought to himself, well, maybe bricklaying's not all that bad. But then he noticed the third bricklayer. And he's kind of, his face is just covered with joy. He's doing his work with great purpose. And, and he's, he's kind of whistling as he's working along. And the little boy, he can't help himself. And he comes up and he says, Mister, Mister, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he says, I'm building a kingdom. One brick at a time. And the little boy thinks to himself, I want to build a kingdom too. You see, the trick here is to see all of the little small things that we've been called to, the little mustard seed, the little everyday faithfulness that we're called to, the trick is connecting that to God's global kingdom. It's connecting that to the promise that one day Jesus will fill the whole earth with the glory of God, that justice will roll down like a river, that there'll be no more war, Peace will reign so much that you can take all the warrior's boots used in battle, all the garments rolled in blood, and you can just burn them. That's what Isaiah says. His kingdom is going to come, and it comes through the small, little, insignificant things we are called to as His people. So you see, it matters. Don't be discouraged or despise the small things because it's through our weakness that His power comes. So Rock Creek Fellowship, don't you want to build a kingdom too? Let's together join King Jesus in building His kingdom.